From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 487 for November 20th, 2023. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snell, but I'll introduce him in a moment because first I must thank Fitbod, Electric, Text Expander, and Vitaly for their support of this episode. Hello, Jason. That was a weird intro, wasn't it? Sometimes you get up ahead of yourself, you know, and you're just, you know, I often refer to this uh, a lot in business and life. You're familiar with the Wallace and Gromit meme where Gromit is put in the tracks down when he's on the train. Mm-hmm. You've probably seen this meme, right? So he's just like laying him down. Sometimes when I'm recording a show, that's what it's like. Like, I'm just saying things. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know if that uh, there is that much thought in my brain before I say it, but I'm just talking. And that's sometimes where I end up with. I have a snow talk question for you. Comes from Jason, another one called "What kind yeah. of uniform does Jason wear for curling?" Oh, I don't. There's, I don't wear a uniform. There's um, no team. There's no team jersey. I no, no. Okay, I don't have anything like that. The club does have like jackets that you can get. Um, that I may, I am getting one of those. See, but, um, see, there's a uniform. There's a club jacket. It's not a uniform. Some people get them and they keep them warm and they wear them sometimes, but it's not a uniform. Okay. No, the key, things you have to know about clothing for curling is you can't. You need to wear something that sort of uh, works with uh, ice. So, uh, like blue jeans are not um, good for that. And. Uh, so I, I wear some, some of those, you know, those Mack Weldon, uh, sweatpants that you like, Mike? The Ace sweatpants. That's, that's my, they're good. Part of my curling uniform, I guess. And then I actually have, it's, there's a lot of Mack Weldon there. I actually have a thermal, um, mm. that Mack Weldon makes a little thin thermal, uh, layer. It's like a shirt, like a long sleeve shirt. And I wear that. And then over that, I wear something else, usually a uniform. Of some sort, but not a curling uniform. See, there's so many a jersey, uniforms. There's a so... sports jersey of some sort Let's go Giants. is usually what I wear over that. So I have a Giants. Let's go Giants. I have, a, I have some Cal stuff, and I have a beautiful throwback San Jose Sharks jersey that looks like um, the California Golden Seals that they wore last season, the retro mm. uh, remix uh, sweater for the Sharks, and I wear that. I'll, I'm about to enter the season where I will wear that. Because I do sort of like cycle through based on Giants, Cal, and, and uh, the hockey season. I care very little for hockey, but wearing a hockey jersey on ice seems like a good idea. And that jersey is beautiful. So See? I wear that You one. said no uniforms, but by my account, you have three distinct uniforms. What uniforms do I not wear? Yeah, you're, I guess if, if anything, you are too uniform. The but they're problem. not uniforms because they're, they're only the jerseys. The, the, then there's just Mack Weldon sweatpants. Well, it depends, right? So the jerseys are a uniform, just not the uniform of your team. You wear no, the same they're not. clothes. They're part part of a uniform. Right. Part of a uniform. Uh, the, they are. Yeah. Okay. So it's part of the uniform for a, for a different sport that you're not a part yes. of. You exactly. wear specific clothing every single time, which I would consider to be a uniform. And then you're also buying a team jacket. This sounds like mm-hmm. very uniform. Not a team jacket. A club jacket. What difference does that make? That's uh, because you play on teams of four. And okay. I, there, our team doesn't have a jacket or a uniform. There's just you people should. who are members of the club can you should wear the get jacket like that says I'm a member of the club. Shirts like a bowling team gets. We we we're not that competitive, honestly. Right. We're not competitive enough to do that. Yeah. So anyway, that's my non-answer answer for not Jason. Jason. 
If you would like to send in a question where Jason says no and then answers for 15 minutes about the actual answer, which is yes, you could send in your uh, question to SnellTalk over at UpgradeFeedback.com and you could help us start a show. Uh, I would like to take a moment to reference the Upgradies again. You can make your nominations for the 10th annual Upgradies until December 5th at Upgradies.vote. Please go there and fill in as many questions as you like. You don't have to fill out the whole form if you don't want to. None of the questions are mandatory. And let us know like what your favorite apps have been this year. Games, movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and so much more. You can go to upgradies.vote is where you can submit that. And then maybe uh, you'll help influence the, the awards given in the 10th annual upgrades of which the artwork has been generated and is incredible. I'm very happy with the theme that we've gone through this year. We have a very good, uh, very good episode art that I'm excited to share with people when the 10th annual upgrades will be published on December 18th. It's nearly that time, Jason. I'm very excited. We're you coming very close to that time now, time. I know, right? I get very excited at Upgrades time when we're nearly there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Looking forward. Uh, it's the it's the start of the holidays, and the start of the holidays usually means deals. And oh boy, do deals. we have a, do we have a deal for you? Is it a Black Friday deal? I mean, it is a Black Friday, Friday deal it is. in the sense that Black Friday now extends for multiple weeks. And here at Relay FM, we are jumping on the deals bandwagon. TGIF. If you like this show, and you've heard us talk about Upgrade Plus before, and you thought to yourself. I would like to hear no ads, and I would also like the bonus content, but I would like to pay less. Well, until December 15th, you can get 20% off an annual plan. So if you sign up for an annual plan, you get 20% off. So you get it for just $40. You can get an entire year of Upgrade Plus by using the code HOLIDAYS2024 at checkout when you go to getupgradeplus.com. You can also give this as a gift to people, or if you know maybe someone wants to buy you a gift for the holidays, you can give them the URL giverelay.com where you'll be able to find out more information. So you can go to giverelay.com and you can find out more about the gifting, or you can just go uh, to getupgradeplus.com, sign up for Upgrade Plus, and use the code HOLIDAYS2024 at checkout, and you will get 20% off your first year of an annual plan. This is the perfect time to jump in. I'm very excited for today's Upgrade Plus, where Jason has a bunch of questions about time tracking for me, and I cannot I wait to see what they are and if I can help Jason with his time tracking needs. But if you sign up for Upgrade Plus, you get access to a ton of benefits. You get access to, obviously, to say, every longer episodes of the show each and every single week, access to the Relay FM members Discord, hundreds of hours of bonus content going back all the way uh, from, I don't know, 2014, 2015, when we started doing our member specials every year. Um, and you also will be able to go back and listen to all of the Upgrade Plus segments from all of the other episodes that we've done all the way back to June 2020. So there's tons of Amazing. stuff there for you. And you can get 20% off right now. Jason, we've got a lot of follow-up. Now, a sure. lot of follow-up. We've got a lot of follow-up where people were angry at you. Uh, That's fine. I've picked They're out wrong. some of that, and we're going to talk about that later on. Okay. Most of it, people were just mad and so it didn't really feel like I wanted to bring that to the show but there's some mm-hmm. where people have got some points about the M3 Pro but before we have some fun stuff in follow up today the first okay. this is very interesting comes from Dr. Warren Dr. Warren writes in and says I am an auditory neuroscientist 
and I have a quick comment on hearing aids for you and why a lot of people resist wearing them, which is something we were talking about last time. It is not just people being stubborn. It can take several weeks for your brain to get used to a hearing aid as your brain now has different input and needs to adapt to its responses. My dad, says Dr. Warren, expected them to be like glasses, an instant fix, but they are not. You have to wear them every day for six to 16 weeks. There are other reasons, but I insist to my family, stick with it. It eventually helps. I appreciate that. I I think what we were talking about is more the initial resistance, which is people resist even the process of getting them. But it's interesting to hear that that's not even the only hurdle, because once you get them, you still have to stick with them. Yep. Interesting. I, d- I had no idea about that, but I guess it kind of mm-hmm. makes sense. But I would have just assumed it was just like glosses, right? That like, it's you put them on, just correct. I mean, there's, there can be adaptation for glasses too, but it, it, it doesn't take 16 weeks for yep. your eyes to adapt to glasses. Mm-hmm. Maybe just get some headaches for a little bit. Yeah. So uh, we mentioned on the last episode that, uh, and, and I did specifically mention, I was surprised that I feel like we haven't heard about a lot of developer kits going out into the wild. And mm-hmm. we put a call out for some anonymous feedback to be given, and we have three pieces of anonymous feedback. Uh, from person number one says, I was talking to somebody off the record about a week ago who told me that they had a developer kit for the Vision Pro. This is a developer whose app and themselves personally has been featured in several iPad-related promotional videos and even live demo events since the launch of the iPad Pro. I'll just say, if they were talking to you off the record, you're not supposed to share that with a podcast, but thank you for the information, anonymous person. Yep. Well, you know, they shared it off the record with me, but I put it on the record, you know, because I can't be trusted. No, that's not true. That's just how they shared it. That's not it. That's not Mm -hmm. it. They sent this in Mm -hmm. and then reported. They're the ones who are reporting something that was off the record. Yep. So it's now on the record. Uh, Another person says, dev kits are in dev's hands, can confirm as I work at an organization that has one. Now, this is go. the kind of thing I'd expected, big companies. But that first one was even more interesting to me because it's like, oh, that is an individual, it sounds like, right? Like, like a very small team. The last one says, I can confirm that Vision Pro development kits have gone out, at least the large companies. In some cases, Apple is working with some of these companies to get more feedback on the software stack than we are used to in the community. From what I've heard from those who have used it, the hardware is pretty finalized, but there are software rough edges. Sounds about right. Yep. I heard the f- hardware was pretty finalized a long time ago. <laughs> long, long time ago. And it's just uh, getting the software together. It's not going to get your favorite shit, the M3, you know? All right. But our friend uh, James says he still doesn't have one. So James did not pass the audition, I guess. Uh, on the M3 Pro, so this is the feedback where people were angry about you talking about uh, Pro last week. That's fine. I was I was given some tough love. I was given yep. some cold water. I figured the uh, people wouldn't appreciate it. That's fine. <laughs> you, sometimes, you know, what we can get on this show is Jason's going to hold the mirror up, you know, and you're going to have to take a look at yourself. That's what you get around here sometimes. You know, you just, you're just going to have to take a long, hard look at yourself. I'm not, I'm not always here to agree with you. Indeed. Drew says, I don't think the complainers are idealists. They just think that Apple is trading reputation for a 38% margin. A computer that literally crashes doing basic multimedia tasks is not a good look, especially when the 16 gigabyte model handles those tasks of ease. Also, consumers don't need to be geeks to price compare other brands. I mean, I don't, I, I don't agree, but you know. I think this Drew's is, taking is... some leaps here. I, I don't know what this 
crashes Literally doing crashes. basic multimedia yeah. tasks. Like, I, I don't know where this is coming if, from. If every base model MacBook Pro literally crashed doing basic multimedia tasks, I think that would be a gate, right? Uh, yeah. What what I get is a lot of arguments of, but if you have a lot of Chrome tabs open, it's, it, it gets slower, which is true. Not quite the same. And then Apple trading reputation for margin. I don't know what to tell you. First off, reputation with whom? And secondly, Apple always is going to get its margins. And that hasn't, that's been the case forever. Um, I'll, I'll just say, because I have uh, a lot of perspective on this, that's a nice way of saying I've been doing this a very long time. People have been complaining about Apple's base models being not what they think they should be for decades now. It doesn't mean that it's not frustrating, but um, the I, I do think sometimes saying trading reputation for margin is overwrought because Apple's reputation is still pretty good. Um, but I get it. I, I mean, I get I get what they're saying. People don't. <laughs> I, I get it. I also, uh, Drew's statement, also uh, consumers don't need to be geeks to price compare with other brands. Everybody price compares. Apple, Apple's laptops are more expensive compared to other brands. Apple's been playing that game for a long time too. If, you, if, you're, if the argument is, well, people aren't going to buy the MacBook Pro base model because they're going to see eight gigs of RAM and price compare it with a Dell and buy a Dell. It's like, okay, were they going to buy a Dell anyway? Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, the, this is... I get what you're saying, but some of these examples are uh, seem a little bit of a stretch for me and, and are missing the point. Justin says, Apple is hurting their reputation. With Apple sticking eight gigabyte, two 8 gigabytes of RAM and 256 gigabytes of storage in the low end, it's hurting their brand. Look at places like Costco and Amazon. They usually only carry the low end SK, uh, SKU. For those SKU, that yeah. buy a Mac from those places, they are probably not having the best experience. Okay, Amazon carries all the SKUs, so that's not right. In terms of Costco, you you buy a Mac at Costco, you expect to have the best experience, and Apple's reputation is tarnished because the Costco Mac that's on sale for cheap isn't the best experience. It's an experience. It's probably a good experience for the buyer who's buying a Mac at Costco that they would because they're getting a deal on it. Yeah, I mean, I again, I'm not surprised by these arguments. I just. I don't agree, and I think that they're stretching it in order to try to make this more of a dramatic thing than it is, which is there are people who think that Apple should stock their computers with more stuff at the yep. base model, and those prices would then, I'm telling you, you don't want to hear it, would be higher then. They're not going to keep the same price. They're going to raise the price because of the cost of doubling the RAM inside of them, and what happens then is those prices are higher, and some people will not buy them. But you'll be able to say, ha ha, well, they may not have a new computer, but at least they didn't buy a computer that runs slow when a lot of Chrome tabs are open. So, okay. That's as fiery as I'm going to get today. Yeah. You know, and it, hey, look, as I said, there's, well, there was some other stuff. It's just, yeah. not, it's just gone now. It's gone into the ether forever. I, uh, I, I appreciate that a lot of people are really enjoying being um, uh, up in arms about this and righteous about this. And my role is to look at that and say, no. And people who want to be really angry and righteous about this are going to be mad about that. And that's that's fine. But like, I don't owe you uh, hot takes. I don't. And this is not a hot take. This is an ice cold take. And you can take it or leave it. The U.S. Congress has demanded answers from Apple for why they canceled the problem with Jon Stewart. From a letter to Apple from a bipartisan com uh, committee, 
While companies have the right to determine what content is appropriate for their streaming service, the coercive tactics of a foreign power should not be directly or indirectly influencing these determinations. Members of Congress can write as many letters as they want and they can bring people in to testify. It's great for grandstanding. It's yeah. great for getting people to write and 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 talk about you as a person who is defending the American way from the Chinese Communist Party. So are we surprised? I'm no. not. But there was something about, I don't know. There was just something when I saw this headline on 9 to 5 Mac which just made me chuckle. It's just like, oh, <laughs> Here's another problem, you know? This is the this is the new problem with the problem with Jon Stewart. Now, Congress is mad. This episode is brought to you by Fitbod. When you're looking to change your fitness level, it can be hard to know how to start, which is why I'm pleased to let you know that Fitbod is an easy and affordable way to build a fitness plan just for you. Everybody has a fitness path of their own, so Fitbod uses data to make sure they customize things to suit that person to suit you. They use a powerful algorithm to learn about your body, your goals, and your training ability to create a custom dynamic program based on your experience and any equipment you have access to. They present all of this in an app that makes it super easy to learn how to perform every exercise with over 1,400 HD video tutorials to show you these exercises from multiple angles so that learning them is super simple. Fitbod knows that your muscles improve when working in concert with your entire musculoskeletal system. So overworking muscles or underworking can negatively impact your overall results. That is why they do all of the work they do to make sure that the program is tailored to what you're doing and to you and what you have access to. They also track your fatigue and recovery to design a well-balanced workout routine, as well as mixing up the exercises that you're doing so you're keeping your body sharp but also keeps things fun and fresh. Uh, I really love how the uh, Apple Watch app works with FitBod so you can see what you're doing and you can easily advance through exercises. So if it's something you're used to doing, you don't need to go and look at your phone. You can leave your phone there. But then you can see, oh, I've got this exercise now. I don't know what that one is. You can go and watch the video. Super simple. And learn what you need to learn. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive. Fitbot is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year, but you can get yourself 25% off your membership by signing up at fitbot.me slash upgrade. So go now and get your customized fitness plan at fitbot.me slash upgrade. That is F-I-T-B-O-D dot me slash upgrade for 25% off. Our thanks to Fitbot for their support of this show and Relay FM. Room around uptime. Ming-Chi Kuo is expecting Apple to release a low-cost MacBook in 2024 intended to compete with Chromebooks on pricing and placement in the market. This was uh, from a couple of weeks ago, and I'll read a quote from Tim Hardwick at MacRumors. He says, According to the original report out of Taiwan, Apple's more affordable MacBooks will adopt some design changes to enable them to achieve the low price. While the out while the outer appearance will still use a metal casing to maintain a distinctive Apple Mac aesthetic, it could be made of different materials. Bloomberg's Mark Gurman was first to spark serious rumors about reintroducing a 12-inch MacBook model of Apple Silicon, but saying, late, uh, saying last year that the device would come at the end of 23 or in 24. In January of 2023, Gurman said that a 12-inch MacBook was no longer on the company's near-term roadmap, but stopped short of ruling the device out completely meaning uh, that it being pushed into 2024 or later may still be possible. I know this is something that you wanted to talk about a little bit on today's episode. 
yeah, I mean, it is. I'm, I'm really just ta- tapping the sign. Yeah. And saying, uh, I wrote about this in September. <laughs> uh, this is it again, right? Which is a lot of the supply chain things come from Ming Chi Kuo. And it's like, oh, um, let's compete with Chromebooks and all that. Like, is it really going to compete with Chromebooks? Everybody jumps in and they're like, oh, but the Chromebooks cost this and Apple's going to make a. And, and it, this, this, um, the ball starts rolling and it leads to very weird places that I think are not likely to happen. My best guess is that these reports are all about Apple trying to trying to create a lower priced entry level MacBook or MacBook Air, because as we enter the M3 generation, the M1 MacBook Air hanging it can keep hanging around, but you do have to wonder at some point is there an alternative to just keeping the M1 air around that might be a bunch of things might be more appealing in that it would be designed specifically instead of just starting and then rolling down. Remember it's the old design language because they didn't rev the design language until M2. Could they do something a little bit different that feels a little bit more modern Um, separately? uh, Could they, (laughs) did they design the MacBook air with parts that are more, that that are not as cheap, uh, I'll put it that way, right now as other parts that are available. Like, is there an opportunity for them to build something that starts at a fairly low price and then can stay there and get and then get price cuts and drop down into like the like those base level iPads drop down into a space after a few years that they really like that is maybe a place that a Mac laptop hasn't gone. That's and and so I put those things together, and that's what I keep thinking here is that this is sort of a uh, if you think about the iPhone SE, maybe a little bit like that. This idea of can we take something using kind of existing existing pieces that does not cost that much for Apple to build? Can we take that and position it in the place where the M1 Air lives right now? Um, because I don't know if the M2 Air is enough because it's a newer generation like could can the M2 Air eventually hit the M1 Air's price? Sure. I have a couple co- problems with that. One is, are they going to do that <laughs> or are they going to just replace the M2 Air with an M3 Air and then keep the M1 Air at the bottom, right? Because the the, the it's got that n- nice new design and they're going to want people to buy the the new design with the new chip in it. So that's one question I would have. And then just more broadly like how long can you keep the M1 Air around? Cuz the M1 Air is is great. It is great, but it is also going to start feeling older and older and older. And I just wonder if this rumor, when I saw this rumor, I thought, I wonder if they're just trying to engineer the bottom of the MacBook line because they really like having a laptop down there, but it cannot be uh, the M1 Air forever. And that maybe there's another way that they can engineer something that will give them the margins they want at that price point. But I leave aside this Chromebook thing. I mean, I think... I mean, first off, Apple strategy in schools is mostly iPad-based at this point. Yeah. And I, I don't think that a Mac laptop, I can't conceive of a Mac laptop ever really competing with Chromebook pricing. I don't think that actually makes sense. Chromebooks are like a couple of hundred dollars. Like couple Apple's hundred not going to do that. Like they're just no, not going to no, do I'm, it. This sounds like a computer that might start at nine ninety nine with education price at eight ninety nine, and then after a year, it's down a hundred bucks or one hundred and fifty bucks, and then they are able to sell that iteration for three or four years, and then three or four years down the line, they just leave it alone but replace the chip in it and keep it rolling as a small, cheap laptop. Like, 
cheap for Apple, I should say, again, referring to um, angry commenters from earlier, like cheap for Apple, which is not necessarily cheap at all, but it's cheap for Apple. That sounds like what this is to me. I don't know. Is that Does that seem... I mean, I know German also has reported about this idea of a 12-inch MacBook. I, I know we're all sort of like grasping for... It's like the, it's the, the men and the elephant again, right? The blind men and the elephant. It's like, what is this? What would this be? And trying to like use the information and let go of the narrative and then try to figure out what it might actually be that makes sense. That's my best take in it. Is that it's got is that it feels like that, which is M1 Air is good for a while, but it's not good for the long term. What is that low low end laptop? And is it really just like a very old M2 Air three or four years into its lifespan? I don't know. I mean, the M2 Air maybe could get there eventually, but it's it's really nice and it's of a new generation of design. And I I, I wonder if they can really get those margins down and if they want the confusion since the M3 Air would presumably look exactly like the M2 Air, is that as good a a place to build a product as it is to to build something that's essentially an M1 Air replacement for down at the bottom of the price list? Yeah, I'm entirely unconvinced about the idea of a new Mac brought in to be a cheap Mac. Like, just that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I don't even think it really makes sense to me to engineer a new laptop like a 12 inch laptop like i don't it doesn't make sense to me like that you would take the 13 and replace it with a 12 well that that's at the bottom right it's the bottom of the line though but so you still then, have your 13 it's an m3 13 that starts at nine at like 1099 and yeah. then you replace the the uh macbook air m1 with this new thing and it's nine, nine. i mean maybe it's a thin and light macbook like the old one but that's not that's not the vibe I get. The vibe I get is that Apple's trying to make a cheaper base model. Well, no, because then you've introduced another more expensive laptop again. Like that's not going to exactly do anything. And, that, and what does Apple want? Apple really does want. I just keep coming. The reason I keep coming back to the M1 Air, and maybe they just keep selling the M1 Air. I mean, it is great for most people. I, I just worry that it's going to feel a little creaky after a while. But I look at that and like, it's a great computer at a great price. I'm sure that people will write in and tell me that it's not suitable. It's unsuitable and shouldn't be sold because it's not good enough. But <laughs> I think a lot of people really like that base model of MacBook Air. And and it is the cheapest MacBook Air you can buy. You can get into a Mac laptop at that price. It's very successful. Very successful in lots of places. But would Apple want to try to engineer? I should say, Apple's history here is not great with engineering cheap products. It's proven, and I think Tim Cook knows this, Apple's much better at engineering products and then letting them get cheaper over time than it is engineering cheap products. But I do wonder when this rumor is out there if that's what the goal here is is to just, you know, build the low end MacBook that they can keep like the iPhone SE that they can maybe vary it over time or the... I mean, or maybe something like the iPad mini. I'm trying to come up with parallels here, but imagine a product that gets designed to be as cheap to make as Apple is willing to make it and built so that they can every few years swap in some modern processors at the low end, but not do anything else to it. And it allows them to to have that product at the bottom of the price Mm -hmm. list. Uh, we've been uh, all these just debates about the MacBook Pro in the middle of the price list, but like this is really playing out at the bottom of the price list because 
it matters. Like that, why is that weird iPad still being sold? It's the same story because I, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people who complain about the MacBook Pro would probably say that, why is that weird dumb iPad still around? It's got all the old tech and uses the old pencil and all these things. And the reason is the same actually, which is there's a market that refuses to pay more than that price. And so Apple's going to hit that price. And I wonder if that's the goal here for the MacBook Air or the low-end MacBook Mac laptop line. You mentioned the iPad mini, which was like a funny thing to mention because I think it, it kind of exemplifies where I'm coming from with this, which is like the iPad mini is smaller and it's an original design and it's more expensive than the the bigger one, right? Like, and, and I feel like that for me is why I can't imagine them creating a new chassis for the cheap laptop. I can just see them more likely giving it another year or two and then they sell an M2 MacBook Air which is like in the new style for cheaper than the M4 or M5 MacBook Air that is the current like here's the thing like that to me that makes the most sense than then they're creating a brand new product and making it the cheap one cuz I I don't think that they're very good at that <laughs> like the, what they're better at is what you mentioned right so like Look at the iPhone SE or whatever. It's just a really old design, mm-hmm. right? Or like, look at the ninth generation iPad. It's the cheapest one because it's a really old design. And I think, yeah. to me, it feels more likely that they would just use what they've already got and that they make up volume and they've understood how to make it as cheap as possible and then make it cheaper by putting in older guts and just sell it forever, which I think is the Tim Cook way. We've seen that. And every time they've tried to introduce this, like, hey, here's a new thing in the lineup, it's always more expensive. And so right. it doesn't make sense. This this rumor doesn't make sense to me from from any of the ways in which people are trying to position it as a thing. Well, this is this is the thing that gives me pause, right? Because they they yeah, they generally are not good at doing a brand new like it's just not what they do, right? They're like, oh. We're going to build this product. It's going to be real good. And then somebody has to be the one inside Apple to say, no, no, no. It can't be real good. Mm. It can't be. <laughs> it's got to be cheap. And they, they just, it's real hard. It's just not what they're made. It's not how they're wired, right? So I, I do wonder with this, like, yeah, one path is that it's going to be like that 12-inch MacBook was, which was way too expensive, right? That, that was the number thing, one thing wrong with it is that it didn't really match the MacBook Air. Um, and I mean, it had, it was underpowered one port, all those things too, but also it, like it costs too much. It costs too much. So can they do it? Do they need to do it? Uh, the, the right answer here is what if they took the M1 MacBook Air and just, you know, kept it around or eventually put an M2 in it, <laughs> but it's literally just that M1 MacBook Air. And I wonder if that is either too confusing or they decided, well, no, no, if we're going to do this in the long run and we want something down here, the right way to do it is to build this smaller laptop for cheaper and get it in the price list. I think there's a real good chance that what happens is it, this product does come out and it is it is not cheap, right? I think I think there's a real good chance it comes out and it's $9.99 or it's $10.99. And people are like, well, wait a second. I thought this was the cheap MacBook that was going to be down there with the Chromebooks. And the answer is... Again, it would not be surprising if the answer is, well, no, it's nine ninety nine, and next year it'll be eight ninety nine, and the year after that it'll be seven ninety nine, mm-hmm. and that's just how they get it down there, and and then eventually they get it down there and they can keep it down there or they can rev the chip on it and keep it close to down in that price point, 
Anyway, that's my guess. I don't have any in, inside information here about this. I just am trying to guess why would they why that would there even be rumors of a product like this? And that's my best guess. I don't think it's going to be a plastic crappy uh, you know, Chromebook competitor. I I I feel like it's pretty clear that they want a laptop that's sub a thousand. And the only way that they, you know, ha- have reliably gotten there is by having it be an old laptop. So yeah. is this a new well, we old laptop? We don't need a don't thin know. and light anymore because they already make it. It's called the MacBook Air, right? Yeah. Like, that is about, I can't imagine, I can't imagine a MacBook getting thinner than that one, honestly. Like, I don't know how you could do it without some kind of breakthrough in technology. Like, it just feels like it's about as thin as you could make something like that and still be able to do all of the things that you want the thing to do. You can't have any ports. Like, where's the USB C gonna go? Like, the, the, you know, the 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 little MacBook, I think, could be done as an Apple Silicon Mac and would be thinner and lighter. My concern is Only not with one the edge, thinness. though. You know, like it's the teardrop shapes. It's kind of true. Trick. True, it's true. Um, I my my big thing that gives me pause about all these rumors is twelve inch. Now we don't know what twelve inch means. Twelve point five inches. It only a little bit smaller than the thirteen inch, or what? Because Apple. Apple has been designing Mac OS for larger screens over time. Trust me, as somebody who's an 11-inch MacBook Air for a while, it was very clear that Apple was like, I would literally get dialog boxes that I couldn't, that couldn't fit on the screen, right? (laughs) So Apple has been kind of assuming that the average user is using a 13-inch MacBook Air at this point, right? It's the most popular or maybe a little larger, but that was the smallest. So to have it be a smaller screen, I actually, I think that's the part that gives me the most pause is I'm not sure Mac OS wants it to be smaller than 13, but we'll see. Or we won't if this doesn't happen. I don't know. Mark Gurman is reporting that Apple's plans to build cell modems into MacBooks could take until at least 2028. The timelines that Apple have been working on for shipping their own iPhone modems, which would come first, has continuously slipped. We've mentioned this in the past. Uh, current estimates would be the 2026 iPhone at the earliest to get Apple's mm-hmm. own modem chips. Once they've done this, Gurman says that Apple would need multiple years from then on to get their other products up and running, which would be the watch, the iPad, and the Mac. The Mac probably being the last in 2028 at the earliest. The plan will be to obviously integrate this technology into the Apple Silicon system on a chip. Eventually, but not initially, right? That is that's part of the report here. Mm-hmm. Is that the ultimate goal would be that all the cellular stuff would just be built into the package, like everything else, yep. into the into the M yep. series chips and the A series chips and all of that. This is um, I, his report's great. It is. It includes somebody saying something like, "I don't. I'm not sure how they thought that buying a failed." business yep. intel's modem business would succeed yes <laughs> which is brutal but it's true though right yeah like they, yeah. they bought it because intel couldn't do it so intel sold it yeah. to them i'm assuming basically for parts and that only happened because apple was trying to get qualcomm to blink and qualcomm wouldn't blink and so then yeah they had to do something on their own and, and i i totally get this i i think it's it's obviously a hard problem, and Qualcomm has spent a lot of time. This is so core to the Qualcomm's identity, um, and Apple has, you know, has to catch up with decade decades of of Qualcomm knowledge here. The article makes the point too that 
part of Qualcomm's knowledge base is they've had their parts out in the all over the world. And so they've encountered all the quirks and weirdnesses and have yep. learned from them. And Apple's problem is Apple can't, you know, surreptitiously license their modems to phones that are being sold in random places around the world and learn from them. The way Apple's going to roll this out is it's going to put it in an Apple product and sell it everywhere in the world. And so it it doesn't have that advantage that Qualcomm has had about being everywhere and learning everything. So they have to do it sort of like artificially, which is really difficult. So it's 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 difficult and it's also like mission critical for Apple um, these products, the iPhone is like, they can't screw up cellular on an iPhone. They just can't do it. The one thing that surprises me here is I, I started to think maybe this would be better if you tried it on the Mac or the iPad, because if the cellular didn't work very well on the Mac or the iPad, the re- recommendation would be, well, just don't buy the cellular model. And it's not that big a deal. But with an iPhone, you can't do that. You It, it has to work. So this is pushing back because Qualcomm, they, they extended their deal right through 26, I think. Yeah, it keeps getting kicked on as Apple continues to not be able to do what they want. But this is going to, it's going to get kicked on further because yep. if they're going to start in 26, remember the whole story was they're going to start with a low volume product like the iPhone SE and try it out before giving it to the, you know, to the crown jewels of the main line iPhones. So... If it's 26, is that 26 for the iPhone SE? And then the and then the iPhone real proper, assuming it all works okay, will come later. And then they roll it out to watch an iPad and Mac. And so I saw some articles over the weekend that said something like, uh, big news, Apple's going to put its own cellular technology into Macs. And I'm like, I really admire the person who read that story and took that away from it. <laughs> because it is a fact that is stated that the goal is ultimately to get them in the Mac. But it's literally after they do everything with everything else as a standalone thing, eventually they will integrate it with their chips, at which point the Mac will get it. So like, I don't know, I'm I'm getting closer to saying... um that that the Mac isn't going to have uh, Apple Cellular in it. Mac laptops aren't going to have Apple Cellular in it until like the 2030s at this point, a date beginning with 2003. I could see this genuinely. Like I have a lot of faith in Apple, obviously, as a company. And, you know, they've done incredible things. I It would not surprise me if they just never make this work. And the reason I think about it is if imagine taking Antenna Gate, and Apple Maps and smooshing them together, right? Because if you ship an iPhone and it can't connect to the internet... Remember when they shipped the iPhone with two different chips? There was like the yes. Intel one and the Qualcomm one and people were like, oh, you don't want the Intel one. That was just unreliable, right? But like if, if like, you know, as we were saying, right? Imagine if the iPhone just doesn't work in France and Spain. Just doesn't work. Because yeah. as you said, like Qualcomm have this knowledge, right? Like this is a monumental effort that has catastrophic outcome. This right. feels so hard to do because yeah. it is absolutely core to the experience of using this device, right? And you can't get it wrong. And you because cannot it's half, get it's it half wrong. your revenue. You can't yes. get it wrong. You're gonna you, kill you, Yes. Like the, the, it's never, let's look at it from a, another perspective. It will never win the argument that it's more worth taking the risk than paying Qualcomm. 
Yes. It will never win that argument, right? As long as there's risk, it will never win that argument. Because you would be like, which would you prefer rolling the dice with our stuff that may fail and kill the iPhone or paying Qualcomm? The answer is simple. Pay Qualcomm. Especially when Qualcomm's never going to say no to the money. The only person making that decision is Apple, right? Like, Qualcomm will take that money from Apple for as long as it is given. Like, it has to be someone at Apple says, we should do this. (laughs) Let me me put out... this is probably not true, but I'm going to put it out there as a, a little conspiracy theory. I want love to throw it. it out there. I love it. Apple's whole, the do, the doctrine here is, um, and this comes from Steve Jobs. It's, it's always, sometimes people will talk about Tim Cook, but it's from Steve Jobs. Never allow a, a third party to be in control of a thing that is key and core to your business, mm-hmm. right? And this goes back, my memory of the, best example of this from the early days was Safari because Macs were getting raked over the coals as being inferior to PCs at web browsing in the 90s and early 2000s because the default browser was Internet Explorer on the Mac and it wasn't very good. And yes, that meant that Apple was being unfavorably compared to Microsoft because Microsoft's browser on the Mac was bad. And you know, you're Steve Jobs and you're like, we can't allow this to happen. How is it that that people's judgment about whether our computer is good or not is based on the quality of the resources being put at the Mac browser inside Microsoft? Um, and and Mac, IE for Mac started out good and then it got bad. Anyway, it happens with a lot of Microsoft products on the Mac, uh, maybe in general. So what if, though... Apple's not quite doing that this time. This is my conspiracy theory. What if this is a hedge? What if it's a little like Apple, you know, working on its own search engine and putting it in a few places in Siri, but not doing its own search engine because it's got its deal with Google. And this is not quite the same, but like, what if the whole reason Apple bought the Intel business and is working on this Maybe it is ultimately to build those cellular chips, but maybe it's more as a hedge against Qualcomm acting badly. Yeah. And what if Apple is okay pushing back the launch of their chips with cellular capabilities to 22 and 24 and 26 and beyond? What if Apple's okay with it because... It's deal that it just made with Qualcomm is fine. And they don't want to be beholden to Qualcomm forever because that would affect their relationship with Qualcomm. But or at least they don't want Qualcomm to think that they're beholden to Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what if what if this is not Apple's crash course to replace Qualcomm and by gum they're gonna do it by hook or by crook because they gotta get out from under the thumb of Qualcomm. And it is instead Apple's gonna keep puttering away on this. And maybe at some point they'll replace Qualcomm. And they're also going to replace, like, the rumors are the Bluetooth and Wi-Fi stuff, like Broadcom and some other stuff that's in there. They also want to replace those. But again, I'm not sure there's a ticking clock here, right? I I mean, I know they're spending money on it, but, like, there is value in just working on it (laughs) until it's ready and having your supplier know that if they screw up or displease you or overcharge you, they're making it more likely that they'll lose your business. Because trust me, I know that Apple and Qualcomm don't get along very well. They had those lawsuits, although it's all settled now. But like yep. 
Qualcomm wants Apple's business, right? Qualcomm wants to never lose Apple as a customer. They, they One of their executives was quoted as saying, you know, if it lasts longer than this deal, it's all upside, right? Like they're yeah. happy for the upside. If they're walking out the door, so be it. But if they stay... That's just more money for us. We yep. like it. So yep. I do wonder if if maybe it's not a conspiracy and Apple doesn't actually intend to ship cellular chips. I don't think that's true. But I do wonder if it's a continuum where it's sort of like, it's okay. Well, we'll put it off some more. And that maybe we should all be viewing this as as part of a kind of grander game and not just Apple's moonshot is getting delayed further and further. Speaking of delays, uh, Mark Gurman is also reporting that the Vision Pro is now being targeted for a March release as Apple continues to finalize the OS. They have planned for January 2024 at one point, but are moving the date to further improve the user experience. Uh, and I also saw recently on Mac Rumors, uh, they posted some onboarding videos that were found in Vision OS Beta 6. Mm. This made me think that it was coming very soon. Uh, because the onboarding videos are in the betas all of a sudden. Uh, but it seems yeah. like now maybe it's still a couple of extra months than, than we may have assumed. Well, if you think it's a holiday week this week in America and Christmas is coming up next month and the amount of effort to launch a product in January, German always points out that they, they don't love launching products in January. One reason they don't love it this is one of the reasons they didn't want to do Macworld Expo anymore because that was in early January. They don't love it is that, is that Apple likes to announce and release products, which means the products need to be ready, which means they need to be locked down and you start to back it up and now you're in Christmas yeah. and you're in the holidays and and all the way back to uh, to Thanksgiving and like, it's not ideal, right? So it wouldn't surprise me that, that the, I mean, this report doesn't surprise me too much. I said last week, like I felt like it was going to be soon and in winter and not like, I didn't think it would be in May. Um, March is not unreasonable, right? Like that, that sounds, it's a little later than I thought, but I wasn't really expecting it at a particular date. I just thought it would be sooner rather than later. Cause, um, it just seemed like they were, they were getting there, but I guess they're not getting there quite as quickly as, um, as they would like. Yep. This episode is brought to you by electric turning a small business into a large business, into an empire takes work. You have to keep your ear to the ground for the things that will help you take it to that next level, but this can be hard to do when your attention is being pulled in different directions. But that is the reality of being a business owner. The team over at Electric know that small businesses maybe like yours face all of these kinds of challenges and they can be big things, small things, but they all take your time and that is why they are on hand to help with the time-consuming parts of your business that maybe you don't want to do, maybe you want the best to do. Things like creating standardized device security with all the devices of all of your employees with best-in-class device management software so you can implement best practices across the board to be ready to scale or employee onboarding or offboarding they'll do this for you saving you an average of eight hours per request plus electric will help you keep a single point of visibility into your it environment to control your devices networks and applications with simplified reporting that allows you to achieve and maintain compliance electric also has proactive it recommendations and automated workflows to make IT easier to manage for even non-technical users. 
I am a technical user, but I wouldn't want to and don't want to get involved in the IT support of the people that I work with. Like there is a benefit in having experts that do this who can do things faster and are more used to it. You know, like th these kinds of tasks, it can be like, oh, maybe you haven't touched this in six months and you go back into it and you have to relearn it before you start again. Experts are over at Electric and they're ready to help you. If you're hearing this and you think your company could use some of these services, but you're not sure how to get started, Electric's experts will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT processes for your organization. For upgrade listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash upgrade. That is electric.ai slash upgrade. Go there now and get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show and Relay FM. Friend of the show, Chance Miller at 9to5Mac mm -hmm. got a huge scoop from Apple that in 2024, they will be adopting the RCS messaging standard and integrating it into the Messages app. I will give you some background in case you're unfamiliar. RCS, also known as Rich Communication Services, is essentially a replacement for SMS and MMS messaging. It's widely used on Android as a way to ensure high-quality media is shared with messages, so like videos and photos. It supports read receipts, has typing indicators, and can also support encryption in some cases, depending on the version of RCS adopted. There has been a wide push from Android device makers, including Google and Samsung, for Apple to adopt RCS to allow Android users to reach parity with iMessage and stop the green bubbles. This is the statement that Apple gave to 9to5Mac. Later next, later next year, we will be adding support for RCS Universal Profile. The standard is currently published by the GSM Association. We believe RCS Universal Profile will offer, a will offer a better interoperability experience when compared to SMS or MMS. This will work alongside iMessage, which will continue to be the best and most secure messaging experience for Apple users. Now, the most likely benefits that Apple will be integrating from RCS into messages will be high-quality media, read receipts and typing indicators, location sharing, and of course, working over data or Wi-Fi, not needing cell reception necessarily, or you wouldn't have to think about message allowances with your carrier, right? You don't need to think about as how mm -hmm. you get 100 messages a month or whatever because it's all data now. Apple confirmed, additionally, they will still be classing these messages as green bubbles. They're not going to be a different bubble, and it's not going to be like uh, a different app or whatever. It will sit alongside iMessage in the Messages app, the same way that SMS does. It will not integrate fully with iMessage. It will not replace uh, anything specifically. Apple yep. has also said that it will work with the GSMA to further enhance the RCS standard. They want to work on end-to-end uh, -end encryption as well like being a thing in the standard so if you may think hey but rcs does do encryption device makers os or manufacturers can put into end-to-end -end encryption on top of rcs but it's not part of the standard so right it's on the google pixel for example it has end-to-end -end encryption for messages using rcs but that's google putting that on top it's not actually right. in the standard what is your take on this this is very much well, I think it's great. I, on last week's MacBreak Weekly, I actually got into an argument about this where I said, 
Apple should just do this. It feels like spite that they're only supporting SMS and MMS yep. to Android. This is not about blue bubbles versus green bubbles. It's about making the experience of talking to your green bubble Android friends not stink. And it's a it's an iPhone user experience issue. It's not just an Android user experience issue. And just saying buy your grandma an iPhone is not a good enough answer. People have Android phones. We have to deal with this. It should be better. It should be better. And And they did it. Right. Or they said they would do it in the future. That's great. I do think, and I'm sure there's a, a, is it the boyfriend meme? I'm not sure which meme is going to be most appropriate here, but I have been pondering it because what's happened is Google is out there going, Apple, stop the blue bubble hysteria. RCS is great. Join us. Join us. Join us. And they do that for years. And then finally they're like, Apple, look, it's a standard GSM association endorses it. Uh, join us and Apple starts walking toward them and Google's like oh, oh my god they're picking me they're picking me they're coming over they're coming over and they walk over to the GSMA and <laughs> shake their hands and say we're happy to be working with the GSMA and in the future we'll work with them on more stuff like encryption and Google's like we're yay Apple came over here yay but they're not with Apple and the GSMA they're like off to the side that seems right. It's like an Apple will not look at them. Apple will not meet their eyes, right? Apple is very focused on the GSMA as Google stands are going like, but me, right? Like, you're going to look at me, right? And Apple, Apple's never going to look at you. <laughs> That's what's going on here. I think it's kind of fascinating, right? Like Apple's just like, hey, GSMA has this thing called RCS. We're going to work with them on security. And, and Google's like, oh, I did security. And Apple's like, is there a buzzing sound? Anyway, yeah. we're going to work with the GSMA on security. It's amazing. Amazing. This is, this is one of the, I mean, this is so like, okay. In talking it's about political. this, yeah, we're not like, this is the right thing to do. Apple should, and like, it would be great if uh, Apple kept blue bubbles and green bubbles forever. Like, obviously, as a human being in the world, I think it would be great if this all just worked and people didn't have to make those distinctions, right? But sure. we also need to, when we're talking about this, be realistic, right? In understanding that Apple use iMessage as a competitive advantage and a lock-in mm -hmm. for their platform. Like, we must take that as a thing and also be like, okay, this is what you get. Blue Bubbles means something. Yes, Blue Bubbles means something. It means... And pe the people who argue about the blue and green bubbles don't get it or don't want to get it. Blue bubble means it's end-to-end -end encrypted going through iMessage. It, it means something. And green bubbles mean it doesn't have that. And Apple would be uh, wrong to conflate them, right? It, it would be wrong because you wouldn't be able to tell whether your message was secure or not. And that's not great, Yeah, right? but so, let's be real, though. If they are able to get end-to-end -end encryption on RCS, they're still not going to make them blow. Well, they're yeah. They're still going to be point, green. Okay, all right. That may be the case, but that's theoretical, right? Because we're yeah. nowhere near there at this point. We're nowhere near there. And you do need to indicate this. I mean, I guess you could do it with something other than color, but like mm. they chose color to differentiate initially because they built this whole new system that uses IP, you know, instead of using the carriers and that is encrypted and that has all these other features and they used blue to differentiate it. Now with this, they're going to get something that is not SMS and MMS, which is great, but it's also not iMessage. So they could have chosen another color. They've chosen not to. I think that's interesting in the long run. Like if it does have security, would you not want to indicate security regardless? But like, there's a reason why, 
Um, the but again, why why would Apple, Mike? Why would Apple announce a feature that doesn't exist <laughs> that will be hmm. implemented quote later next year? Why would Apple on a on a on a random week in November announce that? Like surely mm. <laughs> there must be a was there a big like GSMA event? That, no, no, that didn't happen. We cast our eyes over to our friends, little east of here mm-hmm. in the European Union. Yes, uh, Apple is trying to prove that it is not a gatekeeper to stop the EU telling them they need to fully open up and make everything interoperable. This is all a part of the DMA. Um, this, and if you remember, in last week's rumor roundup, we made reference to something Mark Gurman said about changes to iMessage. This right. is that. Mm-hmm. So Apple, I think uh, a couple of days a couple of days ago, so a couple of days after the RCS thing, filed their legal challenge to the European Union, so to try and say we are not a gatekeeper. And this is one of the things that they will have put into that challenge. Yes, been like, exactly. Hey, we're interoperable and open. We're integrating with RCS, so people like they. And this is also a lot of stuff. Like, if they're going to do the side loading, that's what that's for too. In the whole way of like, we have these list of things that we are doing and are willing to do. You know, I'm sure the USB C they can lump in there too. Be like, look, sure, hey, look, we are very willing. Have you seen to, the new iPhones? To, yeah, to do, you know, we are very willing to be a part of this and make things easier because what they don't want the European Union to do is say, you are a gatekeeper. We demand that you open up this, this, and this and make this interoperable. So they will give an inch so they don't have to give a mile. Like that's what's going on here. Yeah, it is um, part of their argument, my guess is going to be that that trying to first off i think it's impractical to force a company that has built a secure system for their users to make it open or make it insecure or make them build new software to run on other platforms because it's like a common carrier it seems this is one of those things where I think the idea that the EU could just say, oh, we, we will like iMessage and we want to have it everywhere. So you just have to do that now is, I think, kind of ludicrous. But in order to make their counter argument, what they're saying is, look, 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 they're, they got their arm around their buddy, GSMA. And they're like, look, we're going to support this standard and we're going to work with them to make it more secure on a broad level. I guess. Okay. Whatever. And, uh, that's, that's the, what they're trying to do is make a contrast, right. And say, here is a public standard that we are now supporting for doing this sort of thing. Yay. And then we're also going to do our own thing for our customers and that's our business and get out of our business, but we will also support this more broadly. Yeah. Um, and that argument doesn't work if you're like, yeah, you know, there are other things out there that, offer potentially in the future security and functionality to other users, but we don't care. We're going to refuse to support them and only do iMessage. It's a weaker argument. So here they are. They're going to be able to make a stronger argument for a thing that, again, I'll point out, doesn't exist and won't exist until later next year, which who knows what that means? Like, is that iOS 18? Is that next November? iOS 18.2? Is is it uh, a late iOS 17 feature? Who knows? Who knows what that is? 
but they need to they need to get it out there now as a statement, as a policy statement, so that they can make the argument that um, they have an alternative to iMessage that they also support that is an open standard. They could also, you know, the European Union could say that's fine. Make an iMessage app for Android. They right? could. I I would be interested to see the legal argument there, right? And th- this goes back to something we talked about way back when about the U.S. government talking to Apple, yep. where the U.S. government at one point basically said, um, or or part of the government, the FBI or whatever, said we want Apple to build a special version of iOS for us to use for hacking the phones of suspects in crimes. And what I felt then, I feel now, which is seems awfully weird for regulators and governments to demand that companies build certain kinds of software in certain places. Seems awfully uh, strong intervention, right? Doesn't mean they can't do it. I don't know the legal uh, legal deals of it, but uh, well, that's what the DMA is for, right? Like this is this is the European Union create, trying to create a new law to say if you are deemed a gatekeeper, and this is like a new thing that they're going to start to to determine in European law. Sure, you have new rules. Yeah, but it's the difference between saying. Uh, is do we uh if, if the bouncer at the club entrance has to let everybody in mm-hmm. or the subway has to let everybody in <laughs> right it's it, and that's what the gatekeeper is trying to do is say like it becomes de facto kind of a common carrier everybody's using it i feel like with iMessage and this is the, i think there's a real strong argument especially since iMessage isn't particularly popular in europe that apple is going to be able to get away with it because it's not it's not a common anything in Europe. It's just not that thing. But I do find it, I, I personally, I find it deeply offensive that you could build a product for your customers that's so good that everybody else wishes they had it. So a government or entity comes in and says, it's the law that you have to make it for everybody else now. Like, that's bananas. Well, okay, so here's, here's I think I straddle these lines sometimes. At a certain point, does something not become so large it's like a utility? And if something becomes like a utility, shouldn't there be rules about how it can operate? Like, we're entering monopoly discussion, right? In this way. Right, and that's the, that's the question, and that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying, is at what point is your club so large that the bouncer has to let everybody in? That's the question. I guess you go from, like nightclub to park right at that point yeah 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 park is even better than subway right it's a public it's a public space and you built it but the the question like if you if does apple park have to let everybody in because it's really nice (laughs) like i this is the question public versus private and controlling these powerful private entities and telling them what to do and it's it's a difficult question i i think um somebody in the the discord is saying well what about demanding not demanding that they make uh, iMessage for Android, but demanding that iMessage be opened up to be interoperable in some way. And the, the challenge there is you start to say, well, do we lose all our security if we d- do that? Is this a, 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 a way for them to say, you actually have to break a bunch of things in your product um, in order to open them up to the rest of the world? And then it's not the product anymore, right? It's not that product. Are they just outlawing <laughs> iMessage at that point? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But uh, look, I... 
I don't like Apple's complete control over its platforms. But at the same time, I'm not sure I believe that the that anybody should say Apple can't have the App Store. And that's not quite what they're saying. They're saying there have to be others and there has to be competition on Apple's platforms. I see that's where I sort of straddle it, which is like, well, first off, they're not a monopoly. They're a monopoly on their products, which are not a monopoly. Therefore, they are not a monopoly. At the same time, they exert so much control and the user choice is so limited, especially since it is a monopsony. It's really just Apple and, and the Play Store controlling most of this that you do need to provide alternative access because they've gotten too much power over their customers. Because it's like, they, they, you could, I feel like you can make an argument, it's hard, that like they are a monopoly on mobile software. But, but and here's the thing, iMessage, of all the things to talk about, it, it's, it's, just like the iMessage thing, it feels just like kind of like FOMO to me. Like it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. There are so many different messaging apps. There's so much competition in messaging. I'm what does iMessage lock anybody into really? Right? Especially in Europe. Like there are so many different chat alternatives to do that are encrypted, that have better features, that don't have stupid tap back emoji stickers, yeah. but real emoji reactions. Sorry got off track there. Uh, There's just so much that of all the, like what problem is that trying to solve? People feel bad about green bubbles? Well, it it might not even solve that problem. Mm. Like it's irrelevant. There are bigger fish to fry. Something like the App Store is certainly a better target than iMessage of all things. I say the hero of the story, Chance Miller is saying on a Discord, one of Apple's arguments in the EU is that iMessage is not big enough in the EU to be a gatekeeper. The threshold is 45 million users. So Apple's saying it has under that and look that's one thing but this isn't the whole thing right like they are it, the eu is not just going after iMessage it is also the app store and like this is the shoe that hasn't dropped they are obviously sure. over the gatekeeper threshold is set by the eu but like i also like let's look at the eu as a proxy here right and then like imagine this conversation in the us right about gatekeeper and like I, I do believe that iMessage is a lock-in product. A hundred percent, in my opinion, it is. Like, there would be lots of people that would not. I'm sure. I feel anyway would not switch to Android because then they won't have iMessage anymore. Okay. So, what I would say about that is, I think that I think that it is true. It is one of the reasons that people stay on iPhone. But I would say, I don't think making your product be one that people want to keep is fundamentally wrong. I don't either. I think it's like saying, it's like saying, oh, Apple, you make these nice aluminum chassis for your computers. Um, you, you can't do that. You, you're, it, people like them too much. We got we to, you can't, you can't, you got to stop. But in software, they can say, oh, no, no, people like people like to use iMessage in America, so we need to stop it. Like, there are other message apps you can use. But but no, but people like yours, so everybody needs to be able to use it. That's such a strange way to take it. And again, I, I, this is why I'm saying, I think the App Store, there are much better arguments for that. iMessage, 
it, it just seems stupid to me. Like there are so many other options. There's no issue of competitiveness with iMessage. There's issue of lock-in, but lock-in is about the advantage of iMessage. People want to use it. They want to stay because it has value to them in some way. That's not the same. That's just not the same. If we look at the whole, look at the bigger picture on this, right? Which is where I feel more strongly is like iMessage on its own whatever but like it's it's to me the thing where i feel like i think they need to soften is that it's when you get when you create a product which people want to use so much that it becomes so successful it's then what you choose to do with that success and what apple chose to do with that success was take every single penny they could Right, like they, sure. uh, we talk about right. It's like the way in which they lock things down with developers, and then they don't let them link out of the app store. And then when they, they you know, and then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to create this whole method for you to to use your own uh, purchasing, but then we're going to audit you for thirty percent. It's like create this incredible product that people want to use, get loads of customers, have tons of success. But then there are all these other parts around it where I feel like for me, I can't argue for them because I don't think that they use their whole suite of levers in a way that always sits with me. I feel like their answer is turn every lever to on on the money machine. And I feel like they maybe could do less of that. Yeah, well, this is the, even back to iMessage for a second, like that was why I made the argument about Apple supporting RCS last week before they said they would. Yeah. Is it's one thing to say people like iMessage. And another thing to say, although this form other format has been out there for a long time, we're going to not support it and and just keep the thing that we built into the iPhone in 2007 that is really bad compared to the other things that are out there because we want to squeeze it. We want it to hurt so that you have to stay on iMessage because if you go this other way, it's going to be painful because we've withheld things that would make it less painful. And on the App Store side, there are plenty of examples of that, that, that over the years you and I have detailed. Like what bothers me, like I'm not sure I really like this idea that maybe it's going to be alternate app stores because it just means alternate gatekeepers. I hate that. I hate that idea, but it it does have the effect of yeah, your apps are worse. You can't buy a a you can't buy a, a book in the Kindle app. It's so stupid, but you can in the iBooks app because Apple has preferred its own store, and because it acts as its own middleman. That's so anti-competitive and ridiculous, and I hate it. Uh, you can't link out to things on the web other than like now one thing somewhere and not really anything useful. It's ridiculous. And for me, the biggest killer is if you're somebody who's built all of your skills in using Apple's platforms and you have an idea for an app and on, on an iPhone or an iPad and Apple, for whatever reason, doesn't like your idea or doesn't like you or doesn't like your app, you can't ever release it. You can't ever release it on iPhone and iPad because at the, the place where you ply your trade, because Apple is the only path. I hate that too. So there's lots of things to hate here. I just, I roll my eyes at iMessage in Europe, especially because like for Pete's sake, I I realize it's part of a larger conversation. And I actually think that's why the RCS move is such a great move because it is Apple finally saying, all right, 
we will not aggressively degrade the non iMessage experience in our default app, right? Like I get it. That that is that's a pretty good move. It should have happened years ago, but it's a pretty good move. But like there are so many other places where I feel like Apple, as you say, uh, has all the levers switched in one direction. And the question is just how do you stop that? And and the answers are I guess switch to Android, but even there, there's a lot of problems. And that that's not a great answer. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. When you work in a small team, every moment counts. You don't want to be wasting your time finding video conferencing details to send to a new client. You don't want to track down the same FAQs from the company website every time. These are the kinds of things you want at your fingertips so you can get your work done faster, and that's why you need Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can access what you type the most with just a few keystrokes, allowing you to work faster and eliminate repetition so you can focus on what matters most to you. Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations streamline your team's work. All you have to do is type a short abbreviation and Text Expander will do the rest for you. You can build and collect your most commonly used phrases, messages, URLs, and so much more right within Text Expander. Create your chosen abbreviation and they'll be with you wherever you type. You can even customize the snippets by having them automatically add in dates. Fill in the blank fields that you can complete, timestamps, and so much more to keep the personality and individuality in the communication that you send. Text Expander is available on any device you use across any app that you use on Mac, Windows, Chrome, and iOS. I have used Text Expander well, myself, like for my own uh, corrections and little snippets that I want or words that I frequently type, and I put a bunch of like uh, snippets in for those. I've been doing this for, I don't know, maybe 15 years, but we also use uh, Text Expander uh, as a team here at Relay FM, so we're able to very easily share snippets, and so everybody has the most up-to-date knowledge and information uh, at their fingertips. If repetitive typing is getting you down, you need Text Expander. Check out Text Expander today at textexpander.com/upgrade, and that you will get twenty percent off your first year. That's textexpander.com/upgrade to say goodbye to repetitive typing and to get twenty percent off your first year. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. So it is uh, the 20th of November, 2023, uh, and the entire world of technology <laughs> has been uh, raptured over the weekend by uh, the goings-on OpenAI. And I give the date because probably by the time, with the way that this news has unfurled the last huh. four days, by the time this episode comes out, I expect things to have changed again. Um, I don't know. But it's impossible to, at least I, there will be developments, I'm sure. Uh, certainly there'll be, there's going to be a lot more detail happening. So, although I feel like we've gotten to a point where we actually can talk about it now, yes. which was not the case the last four, four days. Four days. So effectively, the, 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 the summary is uh, on November 17th, uh, OpenAI's board kind of out of nowhere announced that co-founder and CEO Sam Altman had been removed as CEO effective immediately. Uh, mm -hmm. The board said that after review, it, quote, concluded that he was not consistently candid in his communications with the board, hindering its ability to exercise its responsibilities. There has kind of been no more information given from the OpenAI board since then to really talk about anything. There's been rumor, there's been conjecture, but nothing else. Um, then there were talks over the weekend, which was even, I think, the most bizarre thing of this, where... Then OpenAI's board were having talks with Sam Altman about bringing him back kind of within mm -hmm. 24 hours. 
Um, and this seems to be in response to the fact that many employees of OpenAI voiced that they would not want to continue being employed by the company if he was gone. Um, they installed a, a interim CEO, uh, Mira Murati, I believe, was who they put in as the CEO, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. There's been so many interims. There's another interim CEO now, so it's hard now, to... Yeah. to, to yeah. As Emmett pre- Shear, who was the former... Uh, boss of Twitch, which I can't even get my head around that one. Maybe I don't know enough about Emmett Shear. Um, then, when it the the talks fell apart and Shear was uh, announced as CEO, Satya Nadella came out of nowhere <laughs> and said, "We love OpenAI. We're going to continue working with OpenAI. And oh, by the way, we're creating our own new division, and Sam Altman's going to be CEO of it." Uh, yep. And then uh, I think earlier today I saw that. I think there is a there is a letter circulating within OpenAI that 500 current employees have said they will go to Microsoft yeah. unless Altman comes back. That's kind of where we are now. And he's not coming back. He ain't coming um, back now. This is... Okay. So yes, this is a lot, lot of drama, a lot of tech industry drama. I want to look at this from a couple of different angles that maybe are not as, as prominent. Um, I think fundamentally what's going on here is that the the struck, how mean do I want to be? Um, I'm not going to say open AI was built on a lie because I don't think it was built on a lie, but I think it was built on a premise that was rapidly, it's a premise that Silicon Valley can't handle, right? Because it was built as a nonprofit that was going to build artificial intelligence things for the benefit of humanity. And, over time, it became clear that what was really happening is that they had a for-profit entity that they were managing that was, because they were not getting a lot of funding for their for their nonprofit, but they were getting a lot of funding from like Microsoft in, and they needed money. You need money to build mm-hmm. AI stuff, right? So um, they, they needed funding from Microsoft and other places and they built this for-profit entity and that was what uh, Sam Altman was running. And he's a VC guy. He's a, he's a Silicon Valley guy. Um, and that's how he works. Right. And so you ended up in the situation where open AI and, and, and with their partner, Microsoft was being run as a business. It's like a business of, uh, of like a startup, except he doesn't actually own the stock cause it's a nonprofit. Like it's, and it's broken. That's a broken set of, uh, set of, uh, uh, characteristics, right? Yeah. They're, they're across purposes in a lot of ways. So, I would argue that maybe OpenAI was broken from the start, or at least broken at the point where they realized that they needed to have this other entity. Yes. I would say it it broke at the point that ChatGPT exploded because then it just right. couldn't. Its its fundamental structure could not support where it was going, and like on that, like I right. would say, what they should have done was find a new structure rather than do what yes. they have done, which yes. was the bad, which was bad because now. They probably torpedoed the company at this point. Right. So two two things, two reasons. One is it's a it, having a nonprofit that's about humanity is a good fig leaf over your thing. It's like no, no, no. We're all for the good. Um, but uh, but the truth is it was misaligned priorities, and and it was it was all probably going to come apart. And the the number one reason is exactly what happened. People 
I, I find it funny. People are like, oh, this is weird. It's like it's only weird if you're thinking of it as a typical Silicon Valley company where the investors are on the board. But it was an independent board for a nonprofit who got tired, apparently, of Sam Altman telling them things that they didn't believe were true. Because, and I don't know those allegations. We don't know have a lot of details about that. But but it's not hard to look at it and say what Sam Altman wanted to do with OpenAI was very different from what the board thought they were getting into. Board of a nonprofit. I've been on a board of a nonprofit. Uh, it's a very different kind of responsibility you have on a board of a nonprofit versus people on a board of a big profit seeking company. Yeah. Um. And so that structure was broken. Uh. It's not surprising in that way that he got fired because. Their that board is not like their job is not to prop up Sam Altman's business goals. It's not. It really is, believe it or not, it's not because it's a nonprofit organization. It that that is not why they're there. And what makes me feel a little bit uneasy is the the suggestion at a few points that the the way that this should have worked and maybe did work for a while is let's pretend that we're a nonprofit and cloak ourselves in the nonprofitness, but we all know what it really is. And finally, the board, apparently some members of the board, enough, a majority of the board was like, no. <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, so that's over. So th- I, I think that's fascinating because it really is like Silicon Valley mindset, but inside a thing that is not built to f- match Silicon Valley mindset. And then on top, so, so from a, a nonprofit board perspective, I'm like, okay, I get it. But then I think about like Microsoft and Microsoft's whole business strategy is based on their partnership with OpenAI. Yep. And 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 that's a problem because they're a big for-profit business entity and this is a nonprofit. But the idea that Satya Nadella was told minutes before the announcement went out One that minute. it was happening. One minute. Yeah. Great. That's right. In 60 seconds this this company will self-destruct. Um First off, my, my yeah, my first thought was I would be furious if I were him. Yeah. And my second thought was I know they're talking about like Sam Altman wants to do a startup or something else, and I thought surely Satya Nadella has e- either going to is it going to fund that startup or just or just buy it or just be it and just set it up a, a company yeah. inside Microsoft, yeah, which is what it. he ended up doing. And so the net result is, um. Ben Thompson wrote about this in Stratechery today, and he he said it perfectly. And I, I was sort of thinking about this, but he crystallized it perfectly, which is Microsoft just bought OpenAI yeah. for nothing. That, and they wanted, like, obviously, I believe they wanted to buy them when they invested yeah. in them. But, but they the non-profit knew that they wouldn't structure. be able to. I mean, I, yeah. I, was, I just feel like because they were already with the uh, Blizzard thing, like, I think... Microsoft well, probably just felt they were not allowed to buy companies. So they effectively yeah. bought everything except the company structure, right? Like, yeah, because they have, have the license to, everything. to all the code yes. of OpenAI. So they own the intellectual property of OpenAI as much as OpenAI does. And now they're going to have probably most of the employees all of, of OpenAI. So, uh, <laughs> I saw someone in chat, I, I don't have this verified, but said apparently like OpenAI is like 770 employees and the count online is now saying it's up to 700 people said that they'll move. So there you go. And Satya Nadella has already said, we have a space for everyone. Yep. So what they're right? effectively doing like is Trojan horsing OpenAI yes. into mm-hmm. Copilot, right? Which is the new brand. Oh, what if the board wanted this all along? Let's spread that conspiracy. <laughs> what if this was the plan all along? I've said this for a while, oh. right? Satya Nadella, he is a stone cold killer, right? He like, is. I 
It's just business. I find him absolutely <laughs> fascinating. He seems like a nice guy, right? Like he seems like a nice guy and is like doing super interesting things with Microsoft, rebuilding this company and make and has, you know, been slowly and steadily making them back into the superpower of old, right? But just in a new way and they focus on new things. And he is now going to position Copilot back to on like he's going to position it on top again, like which is where he wanted yeah. it, but ChatGPT kind of yeah. had it, but now that's probably going to go away. Wasn't it always weird though that Microsoft's like key thing that they're doing in AI was always like, well, we've got a partnership with the best, which is OpenAI, yeah. but it's a partnership. It's like, well, yeah, your core, everything is, op- is Copilot, which is your branding, but it's like their technology. Isn't that a little weird? And the answer is not not weird now, right? No, not, not weird. Not, now. We, not weird. Now. By waiting. the way, um, po- pointed out in our Discord that uh, the the uh, random person in the chat who said it's up to seven hundred is Chance Miller, cool. who was friend of the show in the previous segment. I couldn't and I remember just, who said it. I just know I saw. I it. just I enjoy life. That life comes at you fast. Yeah. In one segment, you're friend of the show. In the next, you're just a random person. You're just in the a chat. guy. That's just how life you're is. Just a guy in the chat. Sometimes. Just sometimes some, you somebody. get exclusive, huge news, and sometimes. You're just a person in the Discord, you know? Just that, a guy in the chat. Look, you've got to uh, be humbled the, sometimes, Jason, all right? You know, like... Yeah, it's true. You just got to be. Because it's, it's also kind of funny that, like, you know, the, this, the RCS news was huge for, like, a few hours, and this happened. Yeah, then, then Sam Altman happened, and, and it was all... So, yeah, Microsoft gets gets to walk away with this stuff, like Lock, Stock, and Barrel, which seems pretty amazing. They've got the license. I do wonder what will happen to OpenAI as a nonprofit, and will it become some sort of other... AI entity. I didn't. We didn't even mention the other part of the AI story, which is that the Anthropic was created a, a separate company yeah. by a bunch of people who were unhappy with where OpenAI was going, and they left to form another company. So I think the bottom line is that this is Microsoft benefits from this early on sort of fantasy by a bunch of galaxy brain silicon valley types that oh ai what it really needs is a nonprofit that can guide toward positivity in humanity and we saw that immediately that started falling apart because the people who are doing it are still thinking like silicon valley vc type people mm-hmm. and it's all you know it's all business it's 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 strictly business and the the nonprofit was like no 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 we have a vision, nonprofit vision. And they're like, yeah, we can use that to our advantage. And you're like, no, you're not supposed to use it to your advantage. It's supposed to be what the business is. Like, and I always, I mean, over the last couple of years, I thought to myself, it is funny that that this is open AI, but it like it makes it seem like it's just a, a mom and pop uh, open source, whatever. Um, but it's being run like a uh, serious business, Silicon Valley business. And uh, yeah, it was weird and it was a, a misfit. And it feels like this is kind of something that was inevitable. In fact, there are those rumors about how Sam Altman was trying to build a startup to do a bunch of stuff like building hardware mm-hmm. uh, for AI processing. And I wonder if part of the friction with the board was them thinking that he was basically going to go do a startup and take all his, all the, his people with him and leave nothing left. But this is way better, right? Because Microsoft <laughs> well, has no the license. What, right. No matter what the situation is that the board thought was going on or what they wanted to get, what they are ending up with is what they wanted, right? Like Sam Altman's gone. They're yeah. going to go back to being a, a company a without any products because there's not going to yes. be any product people left. Yeah. Yeah, and they'll be the you know they'll 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 make an announcement that they are shifting strategies to being the keeper of the license 
for the OpenAI core technology and which something will like last, that. which will be important for as long as it's important. Because, like, you know, I was talking to to a few friends about this earlier today, as everyone's been talking about it. Um, yeah, the there is absolutely no way that Microsoft wasn't also building its own LLM. And they're gonna, yeah. Oh, and know. they can base it on OpenAI because yeah. it doesn't matter because they have a they have a I think a, a an eternal license to yeah. all the OpenAI work. So, so like they only is, they're only going to prop up OpenAI for as long as they need to until the Copilot yeah. LLM is as you know is as everything they need. But but the thing is now they don't even necessarily need to do that because now they've got OpenAI's whole presumably entire staff and because you you always would say oh but the intellectual property but it's like but they have the license to the intellectual property it is a robbery it is a straight up robbery it is uh wow quite a thing so yeah so they've got their own tech and they've got the open ai tech and it's just just gonna be yeah to be satya nadella right now like to to, because how how exciting would it be for this to happen if you're him and just be like oh it's like christmas i could just Mm mm-hmm I'll just take it. I'll have it. Fantastic. I'll just have I wanted them. to buy it, but I couldn't. Now I don't need to. Well, I you know, the it. power it's move mine. is going to be this week. Satya Nadella is going to going to contact. He's going to have his people contact the OpenAI board and say, "So we're looking to sublet some office space. Do you have any available?" <laughs> Uh, we just take everything take the plants the chairs they got it all wouldn't that be amazing if they're like yeah why don't you just let us assume your um your office space and your chairs and your plants and all and and all of that and we'll just because we have all these new employees who are currently uh sitting in your space and and uh, we don't want them to move (laughs) it's so interesting how microsoft is now building all of these like sub companies with its own yes. CEOs, right? Because like Microsoft Gaming has its own yes. CEO. Like they're they're doing this now a lot too, where they they're kind of doing this thing that like like what Google did with Alphabet, right? But yeah. without actually doing the And so counter change. to the Balmer era where everybody yeah. was subservient to Windows. Yeah. It's now Sachin Nadella is just like, nope, we got a business here, we got a business here. It's like a holding company and Windows for all is sorts an of businesses. App now. <laughs> right? You saw this? That Windows yeah. is an app. It's just an app. It's just an app. Incredible. Nobody likes. <laughs> incredible. Just incredible. <laughs> what a time. This cool. episode is brought to you by Vitaly. Customer success teams today are facing a problem. How do they connect customer data back to their work? Vitally changes that. It's a new kind of customer success platform, an all-in-one collaborative workspace that combines your customer data with all the capabilities you expect from today's project management and work platforms. Because it's designed for today's customer success team, that is why Vitally operates with unparalleled efficiency, improves net revenue retention, and delivers best-in-class customer experiences. It is the solution to helping your customer success team keep a better pulse on your customers, providing with maximum productivity, visibility, and collaboration. You can boost your bottom line by driving more revenue per customer with Vitally. If you take a qualified demo of Vitaly, you can get a free pair of AirPods Pro. So if you're a customer success decision maker actively seeking CS solutions, working at a B2B software as a service company with 50 to 1,000 employees, and you're willing to explore changing customer success platforms if you already have one in place, schedule your call by visiting vitaly.io upgrade 
and you'll get a free pair of AirPods Pro. That's V-I-T-A-L-L-Y dot I-O, Vitaly dot I-O slash upgrade for a free pair of AirPods Pro when you schedule a qualified meeting. Our thanks to Vitaly for their support of this show and Relay FM. We'll finish out today's episode with some Ask Upgrade questions. First one comes from Dan, who says, There's been a lot of talk Hi Dan. Dan, about a 27-inch iMac. What I'd love to see is the opposite, a 24-inch standalone display. Do you think there are any odds Apple would come out with this product? No. No, neither do I. Appreciate your optimism there, Dan. But I don't think I know it's going to happen. I don't dislike the idea. They yeah. already built the iMac. But I think the thing is, the the iMac is that. It doesn't stand alone, but that's it. That's what it is. It's it's uh, it's a pretty good price, and it has a computer in it. And I think they're happy with that. And I don't think they are interested in making a uh, a small, a thinnerer, <laughs> cheaper version. I just I don't I don't think that's where they're focus is i think that making a better studio display will be their ultimate goal not making a display that undercuts the studio display diggory asks how long will it be until we see an apple event video in spatial video i am really torn about this yep. because on one hand i can see them wanting to uh boast about it yep but on the other hand it's a whole lot more production work yep. to do a spatial so my guess is my guess is it'll be a long time but that there will be some special spatial video content made for apple product announcements going forward like there'll be a a place you can go in the vision pro to get a spatial look at the new products but i don't think it's necessarily the event video if that makes sense i can't make a decision on this one like as you say i can imagine doing it i can imagine not doing it um, yeah. But they're going to want to have stuff to show off the technology. Sure. And one of the things that they make are these videos. But they also make a lot it's of other true. content. So. It's true. I, I guess that's the question is, do you go to the trouble of either shooting in 3D or doing a 3D process uh, of your event video? I mean, movies do it. They could totally do it and make it available. Um, I wonder, my thought, my thought there, and you're right, I, I don't really know. This is a, a tough one. My thought is that they're probably having that conversation inside and saying, what's better? Spending the money on a 3D conversion of our event video so that if you look at it in spatial video or in uh, on the Vision Immersive Pro, you'll video. see it in 3D. Yeah. Or make some custom content for Vision Pro that is that is going to blow them away. Like, or, or maybe like we shoot the, this product showcase, or we have an immersive thing where you're in the Steve jobs theater lobby and can get an angle on all the new Apple products or something like that. There, there. So that's the question is like, do, do you just spiff up this video or do you do something special? Because I'll tell you, I think doing something special is going to show off the hardware more than just spiffing up the, the regular video. Francois asks, with Apple's eye on services growth and the recent rumors around AI features in future iOS updates, do you think that an advanced Siri could be a service they launch to give additional features on top of Siri? It could be standalone, but also rolled into Apple One to make the bundle even more enticing. Mm. Maybe? Just, it's an interesting idea that I have not thought of. Off the top of my head, I don't like it. 
because I feel like you need to make Siri better fundamentally. But I do wonder if there are, once you do that, is there a a service or is it part of other services that allow you to extend the intelligence of Siri in some way? But you got to get job, job one is to just fix it. And then, and then Siri plus, uh, or whatever they want to call it. I, I don't, I don't know if they do Siri plus. I think it might be more like they, they add a, um, other services or other AI features that are tied into Siri to their existing services. But I don't, yeah, like I don't know. The, the overall base is increased, but it can do more things now. But you need to be a, a, an Apple One subscriber to get those features, right. whatever that. But might fundamentally, be. like Apple doing machine learning voice assistant on the iPhone, well, is job one because it reflects yep. on the iPhone. Yep. And so it's got to be good. And if you're perceived as withholding some of that goodness behind a paywall. Um, I think that's dangerous for Apple. I think they're playing with fire there. So my guess is that that won't be something that they do initially. But it wouldn't shock me if there was a advance. You know, if you're a News Plus subscriber, the voice assistant is going to do a better job right. and offer you other stuff because it's you know because it's in this service that you pay for. You know, I could also imagine there being some features that are behind the subscription because they are just expensive to to, to compute. Could be right. Um. I could also see maybe if they did it as like a beta at first and it was only available to subscribers, but yeah. that also sucks too. I don't know. Steve wrote in and say, I really enjoyed Mike's breakdown of the meaning of pro, which I have personally dubbed the Mike Hurley pro mentality scale. Uh, mm-hmm. and going back to Steve says existing on a sliding scale from mentality to branding. I'm curious though, you left the vision pro out of the lineup so for the both of you, where do you think the Vision Pro lands on this scale from uh, Pro, like, you know, Pro being just a, a thing people want to uh, actually a thing that people use? Right. How from, do you From think AirPods Pro to Mac Pro. Yeah. And I have been thinking about this question all day, mm-hmm. and I am really struggling. I got a solution for you. Okay. We don't know because we don't know how the Vision Pro will be used. Yeah. That's my answer right now is yep. we don't know. It's possible that the Vision Pro will find its niche in high end, you know, it's it's computer people who can put up big screens and work at it all day and they're doing a bunch of high end stuff and they're and there's 3D models and they're doing, you know, all sorts of stuff with that and it's about visualization and it's like very pro or it's our friend programmers who are like able to do all sorts of things in that development environment. It's also possible that it turns out like the most amazing things about this product are games and 3d movies and uh in immersive experiences and that the using it as a computer is less impressive than those at which point if it falls that way pro will be about the the price and the fact that you can afford it and that it's cutting edge um but i think we won't know and i think apple doesn't even know right now apple is sure that it means the price and that you can afford it because it's going to be very expensive but as how people end up in the real world using it it's it may be a while before we find that out <sighs> okay does that help no the price That's my non answer answer the price Only time is an tell, interesting Only factor time right, will tell. to this it's so mm-hmm. expensive that it yeah. should only be bought by people that are really going to want to put it through its paces. Sure. I would also say 
with again, without it being available, without even knowing what kinds of software are available. The fact that so let's compare the Vision Pro and the Quest, right? Okay. The Quest is marketed mostly for games, right? Like yes. games and fun things. Apple is saying we have built a spatial computer, which is yeah. very different to saying this thing is for games. So if they are able to land the this is a computer, I think that shifts the equation. I mean, especially because I'm still unconvinced about what games are going to look like uh, on the thing. Sure. Because we yeah. don't, we really don't know what that's going to be like yet. You're right. It, it's being positioned as over on the um, actual pro scale, right? The, the, the mentality scale more than the branding scale. Right mm -hmm. now, that's where Apple is trying very hard to position it. That's true. But we just, we won't truly know until the thing is shipped and we see what's, what it can do. And like, how capable is it? And all these kinds of things. And I continue to be very excited about that. Because it, it's still not impossible that it's going to be, oh, well, if you're, if you're an M NBA fan and you've got the means, you should just buy one of these Apple things because they, they have this NBA content and you're sitting right there and it's amazing and you just have to do it. And that would be on the other end, which is what's pro about it is it's nice and expensive and really good and not like I need it for my work, but more like... If you can afford it, it's a great experience. That's a, yep. a place it could end up, but I agree. That's not where Apple's trying to take it not right all. now. No. If you would like to send us in a question for a future episode of the show, just go to upgradefeedback.com and you could send in an Ask Upgrade question. You can send in a Snow Talk question. You can also send us in feedback and follow-up, even if it is yeah. just to disagree. You'd be mad at me. With go what ahead. Pro means and what it doesn't. Mm -hmm. We're always happy to take that feedback. And uh, all of it gets read. So thank you to those of you that send it in. <laughs> well, well said. Yeah, well, it does. I read it. I don't I know. read it out. You right. know, that would be the entire show. Yeah. I would just sit here reading follow-up to you all day. I don't want to do that. I don't want that, no. You can check out Jason's work over at sixcolors.com and you can hear his shows here on Relay FM and at theincomparable.com. You can listen to my podcast here on Relay FM and check out my work at cortexbrand.com. You can find us online. We're on Mastodon. Jason is at jsnell on zeppelin.flights. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on mike.social. You can find the show as upgrade at relayfm.social. You can find video clips of the show on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. We are at Upgrade Relay there you can also find uh full video episodes when the recording successfully records uh we are also on threads i am at imike jason is at jsnell thank you to our members who support us of upgrade plus don't forget you can get 20 percent off an upgrade plus subscription from now until december 15th go to giverelay.com to learn more thank you to those of you that do this can be a gift for you for your loved ones even if you're already a subscriber to another show we're on really fm you can take advantage of this deal thank you to our sponsors of this week's episode vitally text expander electric and fitbod but thank you for listening i won't be here next week i'm going to be on vacation we have a wonderful guest taking my seat jason will be your host for the week yes james thompson will be joining us next week very nice very good looking forward to it to listen I'll be listening while I'm on vacation as I nice. always do until next time say goodbye Jason Snow goodbye Mike have a good vacation thank you thank you